So if we can turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. And I just want to share with you some thoughts in my heart about um, things that matter. Things that matter to us. Things that matter eternally. And I want to ask a question, and I want you to think about the question, and then we'll look at it at the end of the message. But I want to ask a question. Am I ignitable? Am I flammable? Am I spiritually flammable? Am I ignitable? And some of you are going to know, know that phrase because you've heard it before. But let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. And I'm going to read this in the King James because I just like the way Paul says this in the King James. We know that Paul spoke King James, so just joking. Ephesians 3, verse 8 through 11. And it says this, Where else I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles or the non-Jews the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then you can hear his, you can hear his urgency uh, as he writes this to the Ephesian church. He says, and to make all men see to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid from hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. And then verse 11 is what I just want to focus on, according to the eternal purpose, which is he's purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the kids are dismissed. I'm sorry, I forgot to... Dismiss the kids. According to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Think about that, eternal purpose. I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever um, looked at yourself or looked at your year of review or looked at your past or looked at your present and just asked yourself, what is my purpose? How many have asked that question? Uh, what am I doing? What, why, why do I do what I do? I was... Um, I'm unpacking, I'm still unpacking things um, in our new home. And one of the things that I'm unpacking is all my old books, my notebooks and just notes and things that I've written over the years. And back in the days of the analog days when there was no digital, nothing, and everything was just written, um, I have just, I pulled out a bunch of notebooks of just sermons and things that I studied. And I found one book, one little red notebook and it was just the messages I preached my first year in Ukraine, from 1992 to 1993. And I was single then, and I was getting ready to get married, and I was engaged to my wife. And, um, and I was just, you know, I was going through, and I was looking at that little red book of my sermons, and I was looking at them and thinking, I wonder, I wonder, like, let's gauge that to this, to what I was preaching then and what I'm preaching now. And I was really encouraged because as I was going through the pages, there's sermon pages and then there's like little love letters from my wife because she was to, we were together in Ukraine a little while before she went to, U- to Bible college. And um, she grabbed a hold of my little sermon notebook and started writing like, I love you, pray for me, and all these things that she wrote as a, 20, as a 22-year-old. And, and so I'm going through my notes and I'm writing my notes out and my, there's these little love letters in there from my wife and for my wife to be, and I was going through them, and I remember one time in Ukraine where it was particularly hard. 
Um, I didn't really have a lot of money. Uh, really, was kind of broke, and that was a good thing. It's good to be broke, and I didn't really have a lot of money. And um, the the government and everything about the everything about the country was just anti everything that we knew growing up as an American. It was post communist. The whole infrastructure of the country was falling apart. Uh, there was just a lot of fear. Nobody trusted anybody, and that's what communism does. It's what a totalitarian, uh, overbearing, over overruling state it just creates a lack of trust and a lack of motivation and and i just remember sometimes just being um just feeling discouraged and i remember one time there was a, i mean there was just so many things that had to happen every month just for me to be there and it was just a battle every month at the beginning of every month i had to get all my paperwork my documents and everything and i had to run i literally had to take two days out of my schedule and just run from place to place to get the stamps and the documents and the signatures I needed to be able to stay there. And I just remember um, the system. I remember living there and the discouragement and sometimes not even having basic needs that I needed. And I just remember one day just getting myself, why am I doing this? Why am I doing what I'm doing? You ever ask yourself that? Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I living in this country? I could be back home. I could be doing so many other things. And I remember, um, I remember just, I think it was like the third, maybe the third set of sermon notes I had in my little sermon book there. And, and it was just a, just a list of reasons why we do what we do. And I want to, I read that through this uh, yesterday afternoon. and was just so encouraged that there's an eternal purpose. There's an eternal purpose for our life. We've been made more, we've been more, we've been made for something more than just eating, drinking, getting married, having babies, buying houses, living in luxury doing, and uh, taking care of this physical body, there's a higher purpose. And you know something, when I was a teenager, um, it was very hard growing up because I had an alcoholic mother. Um, I had a dad who was just working all the time. Um, it was a very difficult um, childhood growing up in a lot of ways. I think what we would call today neglect and things like that are things that we experienced growing up. And that's not a slam against my parents because they got saved later and turned out to be incredible disciples. But there was just a lot of difficulties growing up. And I just remember uh, just having no motivation, no, no, just having kind of a failure complex in my mind, thinking I'm never going to succeed in anything. And that was what the world was reflecting to me because that's what I was thinking inside of my own soul. And as an 11-year-old, um, you know, I began to seek the face of God. I remember at nine making a decision for Christ, but at the age of 11 just beginning, just being in a state of just difficulty and, and just um, uh, just things that were happening as a young person, I began to really seek God and read my Bible. And I just remember um, uh, going to school. You know, not not really gonna. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna make it through high school. Probably was not gonna pass, and I didn't. Um, later on, I had to. You know, I did graduate, but just being faced with so much discouragement as a young person, to so much discouragement as a teenager. And having that reflected in the New England culture that I lived in um, until we found a church that, which we are still a part of now, that uh, where I could be, people could pour into my life something that was bigger than me. And one of the things that I learned in a very young age was eternal purpose, that I have an eternal purpose in my life, that there's, I'm, I've been made for something that's world. And you know something, some people, some young kids grow up and they've got a great childhood. You know, they've got good things happening to them. You know, loving parents. Um, they've got, you know, 
and my dad got saved, <laughs> everything just fell apart in our family. We were a great middle-class American family growing up. My dad got saved. That was in the early 80s. And then there was the recession here. I don't know if some of you guys don't remember that. But there was a recession. Nobody had any money. I remember lines to get gas. And it was just really tough times. And I just remember those times as a very difficult time for my mom and dad as well. And I just remember seeking the Lord and just thinking, God, what is my purpose? What is your purpose? I need something that is, I need something that is greater. And I need something that is stronger. Something that is bigger than me. And I had this desire in my heart, this feeling that I had been created, that I had a calling in my life, and I had this sense and this awareness, and I didn't even know what it was. I just remember distinctly as a 17-year-old walking home from, from, college, from, from, uh, from high school because I had to take night classes just to graduate. And I remember walking home and just this sense that God was on me and that he had a purpose for my life. That God was on. I just sensed his presence on my shoulders. And I know it sounds a little subjective, but I really sensed the presence of God. And I didn't know what that meant. And I really cried out to God, what is the purpose? What is my purpose? And I think that whenever we deviate from that purpose, what God's purpose is for our life, we can enjoy life, but eventually the void just begins to grow. Okay? The void begins to grow. We start experiencing spiritual discontentment. And this is what I think happened with Abraham at the Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham is living in the center of world culture at the time. He had a, he had a great life. He had a very good, uh, he had great surrounding. He was with family. And then I think Abraham that was walking with God, this is my theory, that there was a moment where he began to, he began to experience spiritual discontentment. He felt God preparing his heart. There must be something greater. There must be something greater in my life than just living in the earth called these. There must be something greater in my life than living in just the woodlands. There must be something greater than in my life than just growing up in New England. There must be something greater. And you know what there is? There's an eternal purpose. I just love the sound of that. I love this verse in Ephesians 3.11. Ecclesiastes 3.11, same, same numbers there. In such an amazing way, it, it corresponds with this verse that God has set eternity in their hearts. God has put a sense of eternity in our hearts. We are the only creatures in creation that have a sense of forever, you know? Uh, sadly, when an animal dies, and I've seen animals die, there's this weird sense that they understand what's going on and they are accepting it, although they fight for self-preservation, but eventually they accept it. We are, as creatures in this, in this creation that we live in, have been created for something higher than death, something bigger than calamity and the limitations of our human life. We have been created for an eternal purpose. And Paul here is talking about that in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. You know, if you turn on the radio, you can listen to uh, secular music, and they're talking about forever love. Where did we ever get that idea that we live forever? Where do we get that idea that there is something bigger in our lives than just today, now, my, my physical condition, my financial condition, my social condition, my whatever condition? There is something bigger and there's something greater. We have an eternal purpose. We have been created for something that is so big and so great. We have been created to know God, and we've been created to serve God. And anything less, guys, anything less in our life is going to lead to discontentment. It's going to lead to conflict. It's going to lead to the void. It's going to lead to having everything we want and yet being very unhappy people. Have you been there? Have you been there? I've been there. You know, you have everything you want. You arrive. And yet something is big and something is missing. 
And that is the eternal purpose. We've been created for an eternal purpose. There is a purpose in our life. And you know, that's, that's why I live in Texas. It gives me an eternal purpose. I'm not here for any other reason than for an eternal purpose. I'm not here because I love Texas. I love the life here. I love the, I love the values of Texas. I love everything about it. I think this is a great place. I'm, I'm so glad I made it here. You know, I'm so glad I'm here. But I'm not here for any other reason less than, than for an eternal purpose. And that is that I would know God and that I would, that we, and then I'm going to, and, and to do what we're going to talk about right now. Paul said that I have an eternal purpose and that is to make all men see. I love that. I want to make all men see. Not just the male gender. We understand that that's not just males. All people. I want, Paul woke up every morning thinking, we heard this last night, we were just fellowshipping. There was something in his heart that he wanted people to see about God that God had revealed to him. And I don't know, maybe you're not there today. Maybe you don't have that urge or that, uh, that unction in your heart that the way Paul talks about. But here Paul's talking about that he had an eternal purpose in our life. You and I have an eternal calling in our life. And that is a calling to call us out of our personal uh, limitations, to call us out of our personal preferences, to call us out of our rational thinking, to call us out of our comfortable world. And by the way, comfort zones are not bad. We need, we need predictability around us. We need, com- we, need, we need that. But it's when the comfort zone begins to control our decisions and make our, to where we are making decisions out of fear and in, in align with comfort zones, then that's when it becomes a distraction. God wants to call us out. I remember Jesus walking on the water. Remember that? And Peter is in the boat. And there's something about Peter, and I love this, and I think there's something about in every one of us, from, from young to old, there's something inside of us that's like Peter. Peter's in the boat. Jesus is walking in the water. And what does Peter say? I want to do that too. <laughs> I want, call me out. If you call me, I'll come. What did, what did Jesus say? Uh, well, your thought life hasn't been great lately. Or your vocabulary, the way you talk hasn't been great lately. Or your decisions hasn't been great lately. No, what did Jesus say? Come. Just come. There's something about faith that just pleases God. And it's not like, you know, it's not like, you know, I was just reading some missionary stories over the weekend. And I just was reading about this one guy this morning. You know, the theology of just missionaries, some of these amazing people, their theology, I don't know if we really agree with all of the theology, but if you would look at their life, their radical walk with God, because they understood they had a calling. I remember C.T. Studd, he had, you know, he had this hunger and desire for missions. And he just ran up against so many different resistances and obstacles and no's and you can't do that. And, and then he just said, you know, I'm going to go because I'm called. I'm called to go. And on his, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Adam, but like on his suitcase, it said, I don't give a darn. <laughs> Use another word. On his suitcase, as he's leaving, as he's traveling, you know, he says, I don't care. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go because I'm called. When we think about Ephesians chapter three, um, this was Paul's diploma. His Bible school diploma was right here. I've been made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. You and I have been made ministers according to the gift of the grace of God, not because of anything else. And when it gets down to it, what is your qualification? You know, you might say, well, I'm just, I'm just a mom, or I'm just this, or I'm just a kid. You know, all of us have been, it's been put on us. We have a calling to step out and onto the water. Jesus said to Peter, come. And what did he do? He stepped out of the boat. And what happened? He sunk. But guess who gets to talk about who walked in the water? Peter did. Peter said, I got to walk in the water. All of you guys sat in the boat, 
and criticized me. And you guys all looked at me and you thought I was a big mouth and impulsive and just doing these things. And, oh, there goes Peter again. But you know what? Who, get to, who got to walk in the water for a few seconds? Peter did. And you know something? You and, I may, you and I may fail. We may step out in our life in obedience to God. We may miserably, it may actually fall apart. And it may not actually work, you know? But that's not the point. That is not the point. Our calling is, is to step out into, into the plan and the will and the, and the mind of God. And when, when we do that, there's so much, so much contentment. There's so much satisfaction. I'm so satisfied with my life. I really am. There are times when I haven't been. But I'm so satisfied with my life. Why? Because I'm just walking with God in a calling, an eternal purpose. And I wake up in the morning, and it's not long before just my heart and my mind go out to God and just say, God, stir me up this morning about my purpose. And our purpose is an eternal purpose, and it's not temporal. You know, I think there's some of us, you know, some guys, we get out there and say, you know what? I'm going to make this happen this year. I'm going to make this happen this year. And then the year ends, and it didn't happen. Maybe it went backwards. And for some people, that's very discouraging. We have an eternal purpose, and that purpose is eternal, and it's not limited by time. Eternal, eternal means this. It's not limited by time. It's not limited by our human ability. It's not limited to human understanding. Because you know what? When you talk about your calling and your walk with God, people are not going to understand it. Yeah. Your pastor, your, your friends, your church may not even understand it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I remember times just sharing with my pastor things that, like, hey, this is really in my heart to do. And I could tell, like, he was for it. He was excited for it. But he was just trusting God for me to make that decision. And he said, I'm for you. I'm behind you. I want you to take those steps by faith. And we can't sometimes derive all of our decisions based on flesh and blood. And this is Galatians chapter 1, verse 16. Paul had a calling on his life. And Paul, what did Paul do? Did he confer with flesh and blood? Did he ask, hey, mom, dad, uncle, you know, wife, husband, what do you guys, what do you think about my calling? Because you know something, we really got to hear from God. And when we hear from God, if you're around people that are walking with God, they're going to pray with you and they're going to reflect to you um, God's heart. And you're going to experience that witness, what their call is. The call of God is an eternal calling. I read this and I, I don't know who, I don't know a lot about Howard Thurman. I know he was an activist. Uh back in the day but he wrote this and it just really spoke to me when the song of the angels is still when the star in the sky is gone when the kings and princes are home when the shepherds are back with their flocks the work of christmas begins to find the lost and to heal the broken you know we celebrate christmas you know we celebrated a lot of the joy and the miracle of the birth of christ and it's over right we're, we're taking down our tree we're putting our decorations away. I don't know when you guys do that, but we're going to do that this week. But I just feel like the work of Christmas is beginning. We got, we got, a, we got a great calling ahead of us. We got a call. And you know something? There's, I think there's people that really like to talk about the call. But, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, they're like, hey, you know what? I got to go do something else. <laughs> it's like, and I don't mean to like throw dump on everybody and make everybody feel guilty. I'm not saying that because we can't look at the call without the caller. We can't understand the calling without who is calling us. That's so important. This is a major point here. Is that I think that I could be a guilty per. I could feel like I'm guilty. I could feel like my, my relationship with God is, is not enough or I'm not doing enough for God. 
I feel a little guilty. And that could try to motivate us to do something for God. But you know what the Bible calls that? Dead works. Dead works. Because it dies with you. I met a priest, a Catholic priest, who was a missionary in Africa for 25 years. And I said, what'd you do there? He goes, I just helped people and I did this. And, and he began to explain to me what he did. And I just thought, man, you know, somebody who's not even a believer could do that. You know, why do we do what we do? We do what we do because we have a calling in our life. Why do we gather Sunday mornings? Why do we gather Saturday nights? Why do we gather during the week? Because we have a calling to know God, to step out. And this is what Paul here is talking about in, um, in Ephesians chapter 3. You know, in, in, in 2021... Um, you know, I, it's one of the things, the work of Christmas, the work of the new year. And since COVID began, I just feel like, I was like, God, what, what do I do now? I mean, we can't, I can't take all these mission, missionary trips I used to be able to do. Can't do a lot what we've been doing before. And I just felt God really impressing on my heart. Let's pastor our neighborhoods. When I was in Bible school, this is what we did when we were, when I was in Massachusetts going to Bible school. Saturday mornings, we'd go out, we'd meet our neighbors, we'd do, we'd do these, all these different events, whatever, just to get into our neighborhoods, meet kids, have events for kids. That Saturday night, we'd have a Bible study in the area, and then Sunday morning, we'd gather all the kids together for a Sunday school event, and then we'd go home. We had, we, as a, as a Bible school student, I grew up with the discipline of being a missionary to my neighborhood. And I was a missionary to other places too, but I think it's so important for us I personally feel so convicted that, and I don't mean to say this as a, an excuse not to go on the mission field because God knows I really desire to be a missionary on the field and to do that and take these trips. But I feel like as a, as a Christian in my neighborhood, I, I'm a debtor to my neighbors. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I'm a debtor, you know. I, I know Michael feels that way when he's talking with his clients. You know, sometimes he just pushes the papers, paperwork, you know, closing statements, whatever, the signature statements or whatever, and he's just like, can I share with you the gospel? Or can I talk to you about Christ? I mean, I know all of you guys are like that. Because every relationship that we have has an eternal purpose and that, that, we, that, the gospel would be, that the gospel would be shared. Billy shared last night about the foolishness of the preaching of the cross of Christ. You know, it's foolishness. Sometimes we look at it and it feels like it's foolish. Like, what am I doing? You know, like telling this person that God loves them. And sometimes it feels very foolish, but that is our eternal purpose we have been made to know God, and the gospel is what people are looking for. And that's the message. I want us to, I, in my heart, and we can talk about this tonight and how that looks, but like, I'd like us to be, <clears throat> I'd like us to find neighborhoods and just, and just get into these neighborhoods and do the best we can, however great or however little that looks, meet our neighbors. Let's just say, hey, look, can I share the gospel with you? How are you doing? What's going on in your life? Can I talk to you? And you're, you know, your neighbor may be, the, may be the, the cubicle next to you at work. Your, your neighbor may be your boss. Your neighbor may be, I don't know who your neighbor is, but it's a person that walks with you in life. Howard Thurman said, um, the work of Christmas begins. And I really feel like 2021 is this. I want to read some quotes to you. Sometimes, I'm a reader. I enjoy reading things. I, remember, I enjoy people that have said things that stir me up, that, that have walked with God, and their life is a testimony to me. And Leonard Ravenhill said this. He said, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. 
We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, many clingers, lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears, much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. I don't know what Mr. Ravenshill's theology was, but this guy loved God and he had a passion for Christ. Does that, exp- does that, do a good, does that draw a good picture of American Christianity right now? So much activity, so much action, and yet there's so little, there's so little prayer and intercession. This is why I want to make, and I just want to pr- throw this out to you guys as a church. Um, I just want to take January, and we've done this before, and we've just seen great results. But to ever, however, to whatever level you guys are led to, I would like just to us take the month of January and just dedicate it to prayer and to fasting. And I don't know fasting may mean for you you're missing a meal a day and just dedicating that time to focus on the word or prayer or um, I don't know to whatever level fasting God leads you to fast. But I think just taking a take stepping back. And by the way, fasting is not so that we can incur God's favor and God's attention. Fasting is something that we do to help us focus in discipline on the nature and the person of Jesus Christ. Because I would really like to hear from God about what he wants to do in 2021 as a church. Let's take the month of January. And sometimes when I fast, I'm including fasting with part of like, just health and wellness, and you can do that. It's not bad. But let's take the month of January as a church and just pray and say, and let's make this our prayer this month. Lord, as a church, Evergrace, lead us, guide us, show us how we can live an eternal purpose of God and what that looks like for this year. Um, Oswald J. Smith, a guy I've never heard of until this morning, and I'm surprised I haven't heard of this guy, But this is what he said. The mission of the church is what? Missions. (laughs) He said the mission of the church is missions. What is our mission as a church? Missions. It is to to live missionally. It is to where we are walking in missions. The the mission of the church is missions. And then he goes on and he says, any church that is not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical rights to exist. (laughs) That's crazy, man. And I was thinking when I read that, why do some churches fall apart? Why do some churches just divide into multiple groups and then they just all die? Why does that happen? Because I think when a church loses its vision for the Great Commission, we begin to lose our understanding of why we exist. You know something? I think sometimes people feel, oh, it's so bad that that church ended like that or that. So, well, I think that sometimes, and this is just me, I could be wrong. But sometimes God is just like, you know what? I want to just disband that whole thing because, because there's, no great, there's no mission there. And people are meeting together because it's a social club or it's a cool place or, you know, it's like a, it's a fashion statement or, or all these, you know, it's like an intellectual or, or a soulish experience and there's no, there's, no, there's no mission there. And God says, I've got I've to disband that and I've got to break it up so, that I, can, so I can send people out into, their, into, their, into the mission. Any 
any church that is not seriously involved in helping to fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its biblical right to exist. Then he goes on to say this. He goes, and this really stirred me up. He said, no one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not even heard it one time. That's amazing, huh? You know, there's people today, and we live, as Americans, we live in such an interesting bubble. You know, like, we live in this bubble, like, you know, and, and I'm not, again, I'm not dumping on, uh, on us. I'm just saying that we live in a bubble because there are people in the world that have not heard the gospel one time. They haven't. I was talking with our team in Turkey this morning, and they said, you know, since COVID started, we've had more salvations of Turks getting saved than the, the primary, the, the previous three years. They're experiencing just great revival because they're there by faith and the gospel is being preached. Um, I love this. And, and Jim Elliott, you know, Jim Elliott, who is a, a missionary to Ecuador, and his life really inspired Pastor John Hadley to go to Ecuador as a missionary. And then here's the Valle family, which are results of Pastor Hadley's mission there in um, Ecuador. Jim Elliott said this. He was a martyr there, and he said, and he was really in a lot of ways a torch of fire for Jesus Christ. And he writes in his diary one day when he's meditating on these words of Hebrews 1, verse 7, And that's that verse that says that he makes his ministers a flame of fire. And that's what what he was reading. He makes his ministers a flame of fire. You and I, I don't know how you think of yourself, but you're a minister. You know, when you go to HEB or when you go, when you go, when you talk to your neighbor, you and I, we are ministers. We're ministers of Christ, however that looks. And he writes this, he says, ministers of a flame of fire. And he writes this, and he writes, he asks this question. He goes, am I ignitable? God deliver me from the dread asbestos of, uh, of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the spirit that I might be a flame. But flame is transient, often short-lived. Can you bear this, my soul? Short life. In me there dwells the spirit of the great short-lived, whose zeal for God's house consumed him. Then he said, make me thy fuel flame of God. You know, when, when Moses was... He was 40, he was just, I think he was 40 years, he's in the backside of the desert. Here's a man who's discouraged. He knew he had a calling. He knew he was supposed to deliver the, Israel, the Hebrews out of the, the bondage of Egypt. And he went about it the wrong way in the energy of the flesh and somebody died. Whenever we do something in the energy of the flesh, people are always, there's always casualties. There's always pain and hurt. And so here's Moses, a discouraged man. He's out 80 years in the desert, in the backside of that. He's married to someone who, to a, to, a, um, um, to a Gentile out there, and he has a family, and he's out there tending sheep. And I don't know, if a, a, a man who's discouraged for 40 years, that's pretty discouraged. Every day waking up thinking, oh, I had a calling, I had an opportunity, I had this, op- you know, th- this thing was happening, and, and I, I felt like God was in it, and then he was discouraged. I don't know if you've ever been there, kind of wandering around, where am I supposed to be, <laughs> you know, kind of thinking, this is supposed to be the way it's supposed to be. And then he's walking one day and he sees, a, he sees a bush on fire and it's not being consumed. And he, and he says, I will turn aside and look at this. Why was that so fascinating for, why was that so fascinating for Moses? Because in the desert, when something's on fire, it gets consumed. It gets burnt up and turns to ashes. The, 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 the flame and the zeal of this world always ends in just being burnt out, being consumed. You know, there's many, many causes in this world. There's many, many great things that you could be doing there's many many awesome things that we could be involved with 
But in the end, it's going to consume and it's going to destroy us if it's not the eternal purpose. The eternal purpose is that we are inviting the fire of the Holy Spirit to be inside of our life to burn, and yet we are not consumed. Somebody says, how can you do this for so many years? How can you be a believer for so many years? And believe me, there's times when we've thrown in the towel. We just said, you know what, I'm not going to, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Like, I don't know how long I can do this. I mean, I don't know how, you know, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Sometimes we ask ourselves that question. And yet the bush continues to burn. Do you know why? Because when, 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 when Moses is looking at that burning bush, what does he see? He doesn't see himself. Because he saw himself, you know what, I was on fire, I burned, and I burned out. And I wound up killing an Egyptian. How many Christians have you talked to have said, I'm burnt out, I'm done. I tried that, I did that, I'm done. I, I, I don't want to do this because I'm burnt out. And I think we've all been there. And that's actually a good thing if you've been there. I think that's part of, and also what Chambers writes about, the blessing of disillusionment. Look it up sometimes. A very interesting article. And it's good for us sometimes to be disillusioned by our own zeal. And so Moses goes, he's looking at this burning bush, and what does he see? He, he says, what's going on there? He says, I'm seeing something on fire. I'm, it's not being consumed. What was he looking at? It's a symbol, and it's a picture of Jesus Christ. In, in Psalm 69 and Psalm 119, Jesus said, I'm consumed with the zeal I have for the house of God. And I was just saying with my wife the other day, I'm just, this is what really annoys me. This is what really bothers me here in, 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 in America. And I think just sometimes it really is that we can take, we can look at the house of God and we can just take it or leave it. You say, you know what, ah, whatever. You know, I didn't like the sermon that Sunday, I'm going to go over here. You know, I, it's like we treat church like a restaurant. You know, I'm not preaching to you guys, I'm just saying, I'm talking about the state of Christianity today. Is that like, there's such an abundance of the word, there's such an abundance of everything, and we can just take it or leave it and just say, ah, and there's just no, there's no zeal for the house of God. You know, and that's not something that we can have naturally. And the zeal for the house of God is what Jesus had when he walked into the house of the Lord his last week on the earth. He walked in and he, and, and, and just his zeal he had just gave him supernatural strength to throw these tables across the, across the, the tabernacle that, where they were buying and selling and making money off of offerings that, that, the, law was, that the law was mandating. And he had the zeal for the house of God. And he just had this hunger and this love for the house of God, for the people of God. And when we talk about the house of God, we're talking about the household of God. The household of God where there, is, where there, uh, where there are guidelines, where there are policies, where, there is, where there's property, where there's, where there's stewardship, where there's calling, where there's, where there's that responsibility. And, Paul, and, 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 and Jesus here had this incredible zeal for the house of God. Um, make me thy fuel flame of God. You know, we read that prayer. And sometimes I read that and I'm thinking, I don't know, did these guys understand that, that they are not the flame, but Christ is the flame? And were they a little, not, were they novice in their, in their theology, understanding that? And I think that they aren't. I think that they understood what it meant to present themselves as a living, as a living sacrifice. I want to read this poem to you. Are you guys, do you guys like poems? I don't know. I like literature. Do you guys like poems? Do you read them sometimes? I know it's not a thing that... We don't really do this anymore. People kind of think it's kind of weird. But let me just read this to you. I read this, and this is by Sir Francis Drake. 1577 wrote this. He said, and this is my prayer sometimes. He said this, Disturb us, Lord, when we are too pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when the abundance of things we possess 
we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of a new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to, be, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas when storms will show your mastery we're losing sight of land. We shall find the stars. You ask, we ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, and hope, and love. I love that. I love praying that, Lord, just disturb me sometimes. And it's a dangerous prayer because when we pray that, God's going to stir us. He's going to shake things up. Disturb us, Lord. And I think that we started 2020 with that kind of a prayer, didn't we? Like, God, just, just make this a great year. And then all this stuff started happening. You know, crazy started craziness. I don't know about 2020 about you, but it's been a, it's been a crazy year of blessing and just some really deep digging that God has done in our hearts. Lord, disturb us because sometimes our dreams are too small. Sometimes our visions are too selfish. And God, we need to be disturbed. We need to be shaken up. And the Lord is doing that. The Lord is doing that. I want to end with this. Jim Elliott, he said this. He asked the question, am I ignitable? He said, God, deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the Holy Spirit. And he begins to talk about his hunger and his desire to be, to be used by God. Because, you know, our days are short, right? Psalm 90, it says that, teach us to number our days. I don't know about you. I was talking to a pastor recently. He says, you know what? I'm getting older. He's not old. He says, I'm getting older. And I just feel like I've got a calling in my life. And he's a pastor. He's not here. He's in a, he's in a great church. He's not pastoring a church, but he's, he's ordained. And he says, I feel like I have a calling, and I feel like I, have, I don't have all the time in the world. And I don't have this discontentment or this negativity about where I'm at. He says, I just, I just I have a calling in my life. Jeremiah said this. You remember, and I love this. Jeremiah said, I will no longer speak in your name, God. He was just so fed up with how God was treating him. He felt like God was giving him the bad, the, the bad end of the stick. God gave him this great promise of being used in Jeremiah chapter 1. You're going to pull down nations. You're going to tear up, you know, kingdoms. You're just going to, you're going to, you're going to and, and Jeremiah's thinking like, he's thinking in his realm of what that means. But his whole life as a minister is, 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 a, is a ministry of just, is a life of just suffering. And he said, God, I've had it. I've done. I'm done. I'm just discouraged. I'm throwing in the towel. I'll no longer speak in your name. I love this verse. And in the same breath, in the same verse, it says this, yet the fire burned in my bones and I could not stop. I could not stay. I could not quit. That's when you're not in the ministry. The ministry's in you. When you want to walk away from the ministry, and guess what? You're going to do that. Sometimes there's going to be times where you just want to walk away and you want to just throw it in a towel and you're like, you know what? There's something in me that's bigger than me. And that is an eternal purpose. I just want to say to you today, and I just want to encourage us, how do, we get, how do we get into our eternal purpose? How do we find this? What do we do in the morning when we wake up and we don't sense that eternal purpose? What do we, feel, what do, we do when we're just overwhelmed with the domestic details of life and the pressures of everything that are happening? What do we do when that happens? One thing, one thing, and that is Romans chapter 12, and verse 1. Let's read this together. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, and I like how, he, I like how he, he lays this out. I love the preset of this commandment. He said, by the mercy of God. By the mercies of God. You know what that means? Mercy means that I don't get what I deserve. Okay? Mercy means I don't get what I deserve. 
There's no way that you and I can surrender to God outside of understanding the mercy of God. I'm not going to get what I deserve, that it's all mercy, and that I can present myself to God in the mercies of God, that I'm not going to get what I deserve because I'm not going to get that judgment. I'm not going to get that condemnation because Christ bore it. And he said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just present your bodies. Just present them. Say, Lord, here I am presenting myself to you. I'm a sacrifice. I'm alive. Do what you want to do. I surrender. And I don't know, number one, I don't know how that looks. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't even know how to resolve problems sometimes. I don't even know how to deal with this thing. And it says, um, as, a, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And that's, you know, your life is acceptable to God. I don't know if you look at yourselves disappointed at your life, you disappointed at yourselves. I just want to tell you that you and I are acceptable to God. And I don't know how you feel about yourself, if you feel guilty or if you feel bad about yourselves. You and I are acceptable to God because of the sacrifice of Christ. Holding acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I think this is important because a lot of times we talk about worship, worship time, times of worship, and there's this whole culture in Christianity of worship. And you get a picture, you know, you say the word worship and you just think of a group of people raising their hands, singing, and that, that is worship. But you know something there is the highest form of worship is when you and I lay our lives and our issues and our stuff at the foot of the cross and we just say, God, I am your sacrifice. Deal with, do with me as you please. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And this is how we do it. This is how we walk in the steps of a calling and begin to hear the call of God in our life. We present ourselves, Lord, I don't know, but I surrender to you. I, want, I don't want to be conformed to this world and we just on a daily basis be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. And I'm just going to finish with that, is that, you know, when we do that, we begin to walk in an eternal purpose that's greater than ourselves, greater than our problems, greater than our temptations. We have a purpose that's much higher and much greater. And... This is how um, this is how we live in just spiritual contentment. Amen. So, Lord, we just want to thank you, God, for your calling. We thank you, God, for your will in our life. Lord, we thank you, God, that you have put us some, you have put something inside of us that is bigger than us. Lord, we want to live according to that eternal purpose. The eternal purpose in our marriages, eternal pur- that our marriage is about something bigger than just having a good marriage and being good parents, but our eternal purpose in our marriage is that Christ would be exalted and that and that God would be glorified. Lord, we just thank you, God. We pray that you bless these words to our hearts and the week that's before us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.